legally, I now have to tell you that we're recording the sky. <laughs> I love that it tells you that just in case you hit it by accident and nobody knows what's happening. Right. All right. And what's going on, everybody? Welcome to a, another episode of Hollywood Already Did It, your weekly movie podcast for reboots, remakes, sequels, adaptations, and as long as we're all self-isolating, whatever we want to do that week, because now the movie <laughs> industry's release schedule is a riddle that no one can solve. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that release schedule. Whew. It's going to be... Well, I think we'll talk about that a little bit at the end of the show, because I do kind of want to get everyone's thoughts as it goes. Uh, as always, I am your host, Blake Schultz, and with me is my co-host, Terrence Tatum. Hello, everyone. And our special guest, who's also joining us through social isolation means, Adam Holovic from Hyper RPG. Adam, how are, Adam, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's good to be back. Uh, you guys are actually the first podcast that I've done remotely like this. So this is fun. Oh, great. Oh, nice. I'll tell you, when this is over, we're going to be pros at it. Oh, I know. All the technical, there will be no technical glitches by the end of all this. <laughs> I know. Every time I'm like, oh, forgive our audio quality. And soon I'll be like, no, no, it's the same as if we were here. Maybe better. It won't That's right. be better. We've mastered <laughs> it all. <laughs> this crazy puzzle that for so long we were trying to figure out. And then one day it was like, did you know Skype just records conversations and gives you an audio file? And I was <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> and here I thought it was Doctor Strange magic tricks. But <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Uh, today we are talking about the movie Bloodshot, which came out March 13th, 2020, originally, the same day that L.A. started its social distancing efforts. And, Poor timing. Oh, I mean, well, nobody saw it coming, right? No. It's, not, it's not Bloodshot's fault, no. but, you know, there's quite a lot to talk about. I, I think we'll start off a little bit with some small history of the character and the movie itself. You know, it was the valiant comic created by kevin van hook don perlin bob Layden in 1992 first appearing in eternal warrior number four and rye raw number zero which i'm going to pronounce wrong and not know uh but that's fine it has gone on to sell over seven million comics worldwide and is on currently its seventh volume the movie was originally announced in March 2015 after Valiant Entertainment made a nine-figure investment from DMG Productions to kick off a Valiant shared universe akin to Marvel and DC's efforts. And then in April, it was announced that Bloodshot would be the first one shortly before Paramount acquired Harbringer and a couple other properties Oof. seemingly derailing this entire endeavor. So it's... It's almost similar to The Hunt, which we talked about a few weeks ago, of just these poor little engines that can keep having these hiccups that are affecting them, and then right at the finish line, having this awful pandemic happen that has annihilated the box office and closed theaters and changed the whole game in ways that I don't think we can predict or have even seen yet fully, because we don't even know what it will look like when coming out of this or tent poles drop on a week. Yeah. Well, guys, what did you think of the story overall? Adam, would you like to go first as our guest? Sure. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting talking about this movie now because um, when it was first announced, I didn't really know anything about the Valiant Comics universe. Um, but here at Hyper RPG, we actually hosted a tabletop version of the Valiant universe. And um, Zach, who is the CCO and co-owner of the company, he actually is friends with the producer Dinesh Shamdasani, uh, good friends with him, and he's one of the producers on Bloodshot. So it's been very, very interesting over the years to, and, and I, I have to say, I'm not the most um, well-versed in the Valiant universe. I've, I've dabbled in it a little bit, but I've actually haven't had a chance yet to sit down and read the history and all these characters. But I'm, it's a universe I'm definitely interested by and intrigued by. And it's been interesting to see the evolution of this movie and seeing how it kind of went from being announced to then, you know, seeing things from behind the scenes and hearing a lot of notes about the movie and how the process of making it was. And we actually had Dinesh as a guest on our podcast um, last Tuesday, I think. Oh, and wow. he gave us some insights and some tidbits about the movie that I thought were were really, really fun. 
In terms of the movie, though, itself, look, I thought it was a entertaining movie. I think um, the movie suffers from a lot of the stuff we've previously seen. I made the joke before I watched the movie that it already, just from the cover, feels like it's just going to be another triple X movie. And to some regard, it kind of is. Um, but I still feel like they did the best they could having lost, having with Sony losing the rights to Harbinger and the other Raider Valley universe of kind of building something uh, that can stand on its own, even though it can't interconnect into anything else. And, you know, <laughs> I like Vin Diesel. I think he, he's the most fitting when it comes to Fast and the Furious movies. He's not necessarily the most convincing hero or he's not the most compelling uh, or sympathetic or empathetic. It uh, doesn't play the most empathetic characters, but I did have fun. And to be completely honest with you right now in sort of the time that we're living in and because of everything that's happening, that's kind of all I'm asking for right now. You know, I, I obviously appreciate stories with great depth and amazing character development and great spectacle. And even though I don't think this movie was bad in any, in any regard, to be completely honest, I thought it was very middle of the road and very passable. Yeah, I think you yeah. kind of it because I felt the same way. Like I, I enjoy Vin Diesel when it's a big action romp. You're Fast and the Furious, your first triple X movie, and not yeah. really the third one as much. Uh, <laughs> there was a third I one. I did. Uh, yes. No, the second, and it was triple X. Was it just called Triple X Three? That there can't are, be right. There are three, but the second one had Ice Cube. Oh, yeah. Right. I don't even remember the third one was called anymore, but I kept waiting for the joke that he was going to reveal that he was Vin Diesel undercover as Triple X and these movies would cross over. <laughs> I mean, he basically wears the same costume in every franchise that he's in. Well, that was like one of the jokes our roommates made because we obviously just bought the VOD to watch. Right. So now this is a movie I own. <laughs> but, it's okay. We own cats over here, so don't feel bad. There you go. These are strange times. These are some weird times. Yeah. Uh, but where in his contract does it say that he needs to keep taking off his costume to mm -hmm. reveal a wife beater under it? Because in the opening scene, he gets off of his mission and immediately rips off his uh, camo fatigues to just be in his muscle shirt. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to me. Every time I'm like, man, when, where's the corona at? Where's the line about family? It's all I, in there. I legit, I thought for a moment, I was like, did I start the wrong movie? Am I watching Triple <laughs> X by accident? <laughs> but I did think that he really, he had some scenes where he was like really acting in a way I hadn't before. When he's mm -hmm. first confronting the spoilers of the inciting incident, the, the death of his wife or girlfriend, the love interest, and he's really yelling at that guy and, and getting emphatic. And a part of me felt like I, I had never seen Vin Diesel do this and i was kind of impressed yeah. uh but everything else you know it it does kind of rest on the laurels of familiarity it's very yeah. easy to just go this is a wolverine meets captain america clone he's the super soldier who doesn't have his memory and he can heal and nothing really hurts him so there's immediately when you go into it kind of a been there done that vibe but i felt that they did enough visually with his nanobites that there were at least things I hadn't seen in superhero movies of it either coming together or forming or mm -hmm. just kind of, even that fight scene with the flower in the tunnel of just everything kind of being white and it feeling like snow. And that to me was very different. And those are the things that held me in and kept me engaged. And I think kind of elevated what could have been a pretty whatever movie into something that I almost did feel more like was a pilot and would see more of depending on kind of the direction they take the characters, but it is overall like a fun experience. And Adam, you're right. That's exactly what we need right now. If I can just kind of load up on watchable entertainment, then I will. But yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And like, you know, the big, the big thing, uh, you know, like you were saying the action, the action was actually like pretty well done for, for the most part. I really enjoyed that tunnel sequence where everything just goes red and he's just walking through and he's just getting blown apart and then coming back together. I thought that was <clears throat> very strong and very entertaining. I do think that the one scene he has with Guy Pierce on the pier where they're having their back and forth. Uh, Dinesh told us that was actually Guy Pierce's first day shooting 
and they were battling some really, really bad weather conditions, and they only had a 90-minute window to film all of that. Um, so it was pretty intense, he said. Um, but I, that scene I, I did really enjoy as well. I actually, actually also really liked Isa Gonzalez in this movie. Um, I thought she was great. She was great in Baby Driver. She had a pretty small role in Alita Battle Angel last year, but you know, the more I see her, the more I'm like, okay, this is a really great actress who's you know, may not be in some, some great, not every movie she's in is great, but she's doing her best with what she's got. And, um, again, the action, the action is always what keeps me really engaged in the Vin Diesel movie. So I feel like they, they, for the most part did incredibly well. And especially considering their budget was only, I think, $66 million or so. I thought the visual effects were pretty damn good for that, for that amount of money. Yeah. Uh, uh, for me, I, uh, I'm so I'm kind of with you guys. This is very middle of the road. I didn't hate it. It does. I watched triple X. I watched most of Vin Diesel's movies and outside of the fashion and furious and probably the pitch perfects. I mean, not the pitch perfects, the pitch blacks. Um, uh, Vin I, Diesel I, and pitch perfect. My that would be amazing. favorite film. <laughs> um, outside of the pitch blacks, I don't really enjoy most things that he does but mm-hmm. Blake brought up a good point the the scene in the with when he was in the chairs being tortured I thought was some of the most emotional stuff that I've seen from him in a while yeah. um, this movie for me I love the visual effects um but I think sometimes sometimes the action sequences were a little cut too quickly for me that I couldn't mm-hmm. quite get in as I do for some things that sort of give me a little bit more pull the camera back a little bit and I can see a little bit of everything it was a lot of quick cuts, especially that final sequence. That final sequence, I was like, I don't know what I'm... This now has turned into a video game, and I'm not quite sure this doesn't fit with the rest of the action sequences that have occurred before this. Um, yeah, it's like Taken 3, 14 cuts. Yeah, it was right. really weird. Um, it's but very over, weird, like, mid-thousands way of editing where they yeah. just never let acts stay in a frame. Horn movies did that, too, where suddenly it was just like, and here, and we're here, and we're here, and we're here, and we're here. Don't and worry that's about what this it. whole film felt like was the the mid 2000s film. And that's not a bad thing. It's just because, like you said, at this time, I'm just consuming whatever. And I'm like, cool, this got me not having to watch CNN for two hours. I'm down. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know if this was available in the way that we normally watch films. I don't know if I would be as OK with watching this as me just popping it on at home in my pajamas. My my. um for me because i'm somebody who has a list i i will literally watch anything and oh, so yeah. for me it's for me it's easy to say like oh i'll watch it but i totally understand how you know maybe an average uh moviegoer would be like ah do i do i want to invest my you know 15 20 bucks into watching this movie and eh, there's there, there are a few uh, there's a couple other movies that were out at the time that i think probably would have been a more worthy expense yeah, this was the second weekend of Onward, which took the box office, and The Hunt was also out, and it was a fairly competitive weekend had it been, I think, a normalized time, but it did come in second, which we'll talk more about when we get over there, which is pretty good for, I think, when you consider all the other variables, but kind of the other thing I want to touch on with the movie itself, I think thematically I wish it had gone a little bit deeper in sort of what it was trying to say and convey i know that comic books have a real like modern day frankenstein approach to it that this character was sort of cobbled together from himself and other people and places and memories and this kind of stew or like a powerpuff girls recipe that then just spills in nanobites at the end and makes the superhero and kind of the ramifications of that you know once it really gets away from this first almost Groundhog's Day type story of waking up with new memories with a new target, which I also think is awesome. That's what kind of sold me on the movie and the trailer. And I was very impressed that we didn't make half the movie different targets. We really only got rid of one or two of them and broke that loop and went on with the story. It would have been really, really easy to bog this movie down with person after person after person after person. And I was glad... Something I do like is, you know, it's a it's a pretty tight uh, hour 45, too. And I think to your point, you know, if it would have been a two hour movie, I think we would have got a lot of that repetition of going from victim to victim to victim to victim to victim. And I think after a while, you would have just been tired of it. I mean, I think and obviously the trailers gave so much of this movie away, which, you know, I hadn't realized at the time. But man, man, oh, man, you basically like they tell you everything short of 
of Guy Pierce being the bad guy, which obviously from the minute you see him, you're like, oh, this is Aldrich Killian 2.0. I understand exactly what's happening in this movie. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. It's 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 tough, but I am glad that they broke that cycle. I actually really enjoyed Toby Kebbell in that opening scene, and it kind of like sets a fun tone for the movie, and uh, it really helps you to kind of understand what's what's going on in this greater world, and then how they're playing with the memories. And I agree, though. I think that's a really cool concept, and I'm wondering, you know, because Harbinger and the rest of the Valiant Universe switched hands to Paramount, just how much of the movie had to be, you know, the storyline and what they originally wanted to do to help set up the greater universe had to be sacrificed in order for, you know, in order to to not cross any sort of, like, contractual obligation or barrier. Yeah, it's such a... I would love now to just see a documentary of how all of this really happened because it's so weird to invest that much money into a potential universe and make what essentially is their Iron Man and then break up the pieces. It's almost Mm -hmm. the reverse of what happened to Marvel, where they sold off these characters to the highest bidder and then had this weird problem of, well, we have to go buy an entire studio to get the X-Men back and work out these deals with Sony, and we've got kind of Netflix borrowing some people on the side and getting (laughs) everybody under one house has been the challenge of this entire kind of endeavor. And for... Mm -hmm. It's one of the advantages that I always thought DC had that they never capitalized on. And now to see Valiant kind of start that and then create that problem for themselves, which I'm a big fan of not putting, you know, the cart before the horse. Like, let's not assume that this movie is going to be a box office smash and get all the people excited about a Valiant cinematic universe. Let's make a good self-contained bloodshot movie and move forward before we make any assumptions. I'm just very impressed that this movie didn't have what I feel like is now a very typical Hollywood ending of Mm -hmm. your movie stops. And then there's like a five minute long fourth act that's setting up a sequel that even, and I loved the Alita battle angel movie, but it was a little frustrating that we stunt casted Ed Norton as the main villain and then ended with her like pointing skyward as if we just know that another one is coming. Right. Or even Happy Death Day to You did the same thing where we set up this cool sci-fi franchise that we may never see. So it was kind of refreshing to not see them make that assumption. But I I would love to know all the nuts and bolts that (laughs) made Valiant cash a check from Paramount, I guess. Well, it's, uh, it's a lot of moving parts. And a big part of it is Valiant itself changed ownership. That's right. So a lot of the people who were there, including um, Dinesh, they were there to really like kick off this new era of the Valiant universe. And then when it changed ownership, all of that stuff kind of went away. Um, You know, he was telling us when we interviewed him that Bloodshot is kind of like the movie itself is kind of the last thing that he will probably ever touch that's from Valiant. So it was kind of like a one and done. And now everything is at a new studio. So that's that's i think primarily the reason why a character like bloodshot will have to exist in his own universe and why they never bother to set anything else up um the one the one thing that he actually did tell us was that originally the ending of the movie was going to tie into harbinger because those two things kind of go hand in hand and toyo harada who's one of the main characters or is the main character uh they got they had ken watanabe cast to play it Oh, wow. When, you know, when everything changed hands, basically all of that went away. That's a bummer. I would have really liked to have seen that, but because that was the next setup. I believe they did Bloodshot, Harbinger, and then Harbinger War mm-hmm. with Shadowrunner and Faith also announced. But now who knows what will happen? And, you know, I completely get it from paramount side because i feel like they are right now one of the few studios that doesn't have big giant tentpole characters that they can kind of feed off every summer it feels like their box office is kind of dictated by what tom cruise wants to learn how to do if it's (laughs) planes or do big stunts and yeah they're really uh, capitalizing on nostalgia oh yeah and i like they've got small wins is quite quiet places paramount yeah that's That's paramount So they're we'll, getting we'll see when that in. comes out. Oh, I know. <laughs> I feel like it's Paramount and Sony currently who are the two studios that are 
I don't want to say struggling. Struggling is not the right word, but they're 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 having a harder time finding these franchises that really keep them going. You know, I mean, Sony has Spider-Man, but Marvel Studios is heavily responsible for the success of that franchise, and yeah. they have and they have Jumanji, and the Jumanji, last Jumanji yeah. did really really well. Right. But you know, I I don't. I don't know if people were as enthusiastic about Jumanji the next level as they were the last one. Uh, and, you know, then Paramount, they've had movies like Gemini Man and and all this stuff, and they've kind of done all right. But whenever they put on Mission Impossible movie, you know, those things pop real well. They do. Yeah, that's usually there. Like, Maverick will make them money. A Quiet Place 2 one day will come out. Yeah. Um, and then now they're shooting these two Mission Impossibles back-to-back. But you're right. Like, when you look at... I mean, even Warner Brothers kind of lives in this weird world now where they release like a Joker and make a billion dollars. And then in a year where they don't have that, they end up putting out a ton of small horror movies that quietly make all their money. It's the same Mm -hmm. thing that, you know, Universal has Blumhouse that kind of quietly bring in all of this cash to let them work. And I mean, outside of A Quiet Place, I don't even think Paramount really has like a big horror franchise they can rest their laurels on. I know they acquired in air quotes, acquired the Friday the 13th rights. I think they were the last studio that had it before that went up in mystery, but... <laughs> yeah, I think it's reverted back to Warner Brothers now. Oh, well, <laughs> then they are going to clean up. Yeah, but... I mean, and they have Star Trek, but they're 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 not actively doing anything with it, or they keep saying that they're going to do something with it, but, you know, the last time I heard anything about Star Trek was... JJ was going to do one with Chris Hemsworth and Chris Pine, and then Quentin was going to do a Star Trek movie, and now it seems like neither of those things are happening. Yeah, and I think now the reality is everyone's going to sit back for a minute, and then whatever was in development will change. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't even be surprised if you get a big Marvel Phase 4 shakeup in six months when everything hopefully relaxes or chills out. But back to Bloodshot. For a while um i guess then kind of as an adaptation it's interesting how the first two volumes of this comic are the exact story we saw and they kind of did it twice and are constantly rebooting and redoing the characters so i think from kind of a story and character piece it is working out really well like they kind of nailed all the parts they needed to nail so i think really the challenge is you know, this is Valiant's most success. Well, one of their most successful characters, I should say. I don't know if it's their most successful, but it's certainly up there. What do you guys think this really had to do to stand out We in this now very cluttered superhero world? We talked a bit about it falling on the laurels of Superman or Superman, Captain America meets Wolverine or all of these familiar ideas. Is there anything that popped or do you think they needed to make pop more? seeing the movie and the marketing to really show that it wasn't just familiar water um that's a that's a really good question i mean it's it is getting harder and harder nowadays because at a certain point a lot of these superhero movies start to look and feel the same depending on you know who's making them what studio it is what director like combination of of talent behind the camera um i feel like marvel has done obviously done the best job in terms of marketing these movies and making it feel like every time you see one of their films, it's a unique experience. Warner Brothers makes very good trailers, but a lot of the times their movies don't necessarily live up to what the trailers do. And I think for a movie like Bloodshot, that's the tricky balance is how do we make a trailer? How do we market our movie to make it look really fun? Because it's a PG-13 movie. And I, I honestly, up until I saw it, I thought it was rated R. So, you know, it's like, how do you how do you drive that sort of appeal um, that it's I don't want to say all audiences because it is pretty violent. But, you know, for for majority of audiences, how do you drive that appeal? But also, how do you tonally um, convey that, hey, this isn't Thor Ragnarok, but this also isn't the Dark Knight. It lives somewhere in this like like you guys were saying, this X-Man-y, Iron Man-y world but conveying that and making people feel like this isn't just like a ripoff of a Marvel superhero is, is tough. And, you know, I think also because Valiant is known, but it's not a Marvel or a DC, you know, that's another uphill battle is the movie also has to kind of do the legwork of, 
hopefully enticing people to go buy a comic book and if if they're interested enough and they want to know more about the character whereas marvel and dc they don't have that struggle everybody knows who these characters are so yeah i think there's a lot of components but i think what i think they they could have done um i feel like a lot of movies that or, or studios that make these movies off of superhero characters if they're not as well known I think maybe, and I, I have nothing to prove this, but I think it would maybe be beneficial for the studio to focus on some of the comic book elements in the marketing process. Maybe making these little vignettes that talk about, uh, you know, who, the backstory of all these characters, like really help educate the audience. And I know that's kind of more for us people who live on the internet. For mainstream audiences, I think you just have to make a really good, solid trailer. And if you're going to put Vin Diesel in it, you really got to convince a lot of people that it's not just going to be Triple X or Fast and the Furious. Yeah, it's a it's a weird thing because I agree with Adam on that. I think this is a character that isn't. If you're a Valiant fan, he's a well-known character, but there's a huge part of the population that has no idea what the hell this is. So if you're going to put this out there, and you it is a comic book property, and you're, you're resting your laurels and that oh we got a Vin Diesel comic book property, you need to let the audiences know that this is a comic book. Like I I, I don't I don't think they did a good enough job outside of us knowing that Valiant exists and Bloodshot is a character that exists, I don't think they did a good enough job to tell the general audience that, oh, this is a new comic book property that you guys should be paying attention to and, and uh, putting that comic in front of more people. I don't know what you do to do it, but he's right. At the end of the day, this just looks like a generic Vin Diesel property if you have no idea that this is attached to a comic book property. Did uh. Well Really quick, did they do any sort of Comic-Con coverage for Bloodshot, like, leading up to the release, like, last year? I don't remember. Not that I remember seeing. If they did, it was, excuse me, it was very small, because it was not really prevalent anywhere. I feel like this movie didn't really get a big push until really at the top of this year, Um I can't, I can't think of any big Comic-Con coverage. I feel like there wasn't a lot of press. It it feels like the kind of thing where they probably spend a lot of their, I think Adam, you said 66 million. The number I saw was 45 for their budget. So somewhere in between there, they probably spent so much of it on making this movie look good. And it does look good that they didn't spend a lot on the marketing and advertising and press, or maybe they just thought they had a, not necessarily a dud, but an okay movie and, kind of lean back on that i think you can kind of notice every now and then if a movie doesn't have a big marketing push that they they might know what they have and they're trying to save money where they can but some I, of this also probably has to do with vin diesel probably believing that he is a bigger star outside of fast and the furious than he actually is yeah well, I, I think Sony Sony is still a very traditional studio when they market and advertise in that they do lean very heavily on their stars. Most of Jumanji's marketing was at first, come see The Rock and Kevin Hart, like look at how cool they are. And right. even Venom's big marketing push leaned away from kind of the comic bookiness and really, really put Tom Hardy front and center. They tend to do that a lot with their big franchises. Men in Black International was the same thing. It was a Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson vehicle, um, which I think the problem with doing that now is that it is a saturated market. And, you know, I I guess we'll see one day, right? One day there will be a, a Robert Downey Jr. tentpole and a new recast Iron Man movie. And mm-hmm. we'll know if it was Iron Man that sells the movie or Robert Downey Jr. that sells the movie. And it's... Right. It's the combination of good casting and marketability that Correct. makes the CU happen. But I think there is a reality to do people follow IPs or movie stars now. And I think when you're trying to differentiate your movie, you probably need a really innovative take. And Adam, you brought up an interesting point that this is a PG-13 superhero movie. I think Venom was also PG-13, but I might be incorrect. Uh, but in either case, that, this, and uh, Morbius all are a little bit more mature in tone, but not quite a Deadpool or Birds of Prey or Joker, and not quite the fun, family-friendly, for-everybody Marvel movie. And I think that tone is really, really hard to hit, uh, because you do kind of—this movie doesn't feel like a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, 
but it feels like a Sony superhero movie. It feels like it is produced the same way that Venom was produced. Yeah. And it works and like, the same way Morbius does, yep, where they like want Morbius, these despondent yeah. characters that you feel bad for, but they're anti-heroes, and they're not really here to have fun, but they will be kind of plucky, and it makes kind of them dilute their own brand in a weird way where I think if they really thought about who this character was the same way Marvel does and the same way DC at their best do, but don't always, you'd have this more like, what is this weird soldier who's now this Frankenstein project gone wrong, really think and feel and act. And I said to my roommates when we were watching it that, you know, the other guys in this program, program kind of got the short end of the stick vin diesel can heal from anything and this guy gets like predator vision whenever he looks around like <laughs> lean into that a little bit like these characters mm. should be a little jealous like the, the the woman can breathe when the guy allows her to but vin diesel's a walking god like these people this is an imbalance of powers yeah um, and ultimately i think that's kind of like why I'm not the biggest fan of Sony making these superhero properties. And I understand that they had a very, very, very successful Spider-Man trilogy. I totally get that. And I'm, and I completely like, yes, but I think a lot of that was Sam Raimi and the passion behind the people that were making those movies. And you look at Spider-Man three, the studio said Venom, Venom, Venom. He said he didn't want to do it. And look how that turned out. Then you get into amazing Spider-Man and all that stuff. And we, we all know the history of everything. So it's like, I, I agree. I think, just like with Marvel Studios, and again, I think this is the thing that people have been saying forever and ever and ever, and this goes back to even the Robert Downey Jr. comment, is when you have people behind a project who are very, very passionate about that thing, like Robert Downey Jr., you know, when they recast Iron Man, it will never feel like Robert Downey Jr. because Robert Downey Jr. was Iron Man. He was Tony Stark on camera, off camera. No matter what interview you watch with him, you feel like you're just watching Tony Stark doing an interview. <laughs> Yes. Like that's the magic of that casting. And will that ever be captured again? It's possible to say. You know, it's kind of like Christopher Reeve with Superman, Hugh Jackman with Wolverine. These are these actors who are so passionate about the characters that they play that you kind of just look at them as the character. So when you look at Vin Diesel and you look at Bloodshot, you think of, you know, Fast and the Furious. You think of the other things that he's done. He's not really an actor that you can asso that you will ever really associate to anything other than, you know, Dominic Toretto probably. You know, a lot of people even forget that he was the voice of the Iron Giant. So I think like that's also kind of what Bloodshot needed. It needed an actor or someone that when people look at him, they can just associate him as, oh, that's Valiant's Bloodshot. And I know for actors that's tough because that leads to typecasting. And, and everything but i think we just live in a different world we just live in a different world where people are so aware to what everybody's doing i mean i think if even if sony's marketing would have embraced new platforms and i'm going to sound like a 10 year old but if you embrace new platforms like tiktok or instagram or all these things like you can have smart marketing pushes to get more people's eyes on it but when you're a traditionalist when you're a traditional studio like sony like you were saying a lot of those people there are not paying attention to that kind of stuff. They have young people working underneath them probably who do, but they don't you know, listen to them. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's an interesting place, Sony, when they because whenever they make something really innovative like Spider Verse, and oh I don't know God, that necessarily so always good. should, but whenever they get these sparks of innovation and I feel like they should double down and really go for it they don't which yeah. is like smart keep that animation and that style special and unique so when it comes back we're excited but at the same time like let those people take those risks because they have a um reuben flesher am i saying that right who directed venom, venom one, yeah. i can't differentiate his dna with this director's dna at all when i see these two movies yeah you, yeah. you could have told me that it was the same and part of that is because the bloodshot director this is his first feature film. His only other directing credit is a Love, War, and Robots on Netflix credit. So I think that's also why you see a little bit, we were kind of joking around that some shots look very The Matrix or David Fincher. And when I looked that up, I was like, oh, well, because he doesn't he, have he a style Fincher yet. show and Fincher is a big right. Sony guy. And I'm sure that's how this collaboration came to be over time. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting when you kind of see that influence where I think even when you watch... You know, Marvel has a formula, right? But I love their formula. But even within that, 
Iron Man feels very different from Black Panther, feels very different from Winter Soldier, and they follow the same beats and patterns, but the director's DNA is still in there. The actor's yeah. DNA is still in there. The choices people are making mm-hmm. kind of breathe a little bit more than they do here. This felt very... I don't know. I think, you know, the early aughts action films where it was all dark and dreary and it's sad. A, at the core, while we still all enjoyed aspects of it, it feels like a conveyor belt Sony 2000 uh, superhero film. Like totally. And um, yeah, it, it sucks. I, I think we've all, Blake and I have watched many of Sony's products over the last couple of years. And unfortunately, outside of probably Bad Boys and Spider-Man recently, they've all been sort of a letdown. Uh, and I... I don't, I don't know what it is there. I don't know what they're doing there. Um, I'm not sure exactly how to turn it around, but I think there are issues with the way that they choose, what they choose to do next as far as properties. They seem like they go more for name brand recognition and then don't worry about the story part until they're halfway through filming. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you just look at the writing team on this movie. It's like you have... Eric Heiser, who is also a comic book writer, but he wrote Arrival. Right. Like, he wrote right. a, a hugely successful um, and well-received movie. And then you see his writing credit for Bloodshot. You're like, yeah, man, you know, they're, like, the, the Tim Miller story is, like, it, it's not as common as you think. You know, Tim Miller was lucky that he inherited a movie like Deadpool with already a lot of working parts. Paul, um, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. Ryan Reynolds, who was hugely integral to the marketing and the making of that movie, right. you know, so it's like those types of people only translate so so often. Like Alex Garland is another is another example of that of somebody who translated really really well. But yeah, it's it's not possible for that to happen with everyone. And I think if you're gonna, you know, bet on this movie creating a, a some sort of cinematic universe, you know, even though he's disconnected from everything else that's going on, you you have to get. I think you need to get people that are a little bit more experienced or have a very, very clear vision of what they're doing and not just, and I don't know if this is the case, obviously, but potentially coming and being like, oh, this is what you guys want us to make? Okay, cool, I'll make that. Right, yeah. You, It's either really let them go or just somebody who, I always say, who just points and shoots. when They, they, got a, they, they do a lot of gun for hire at that studio. Uh, Men in Black's probably the one that I can point to most recently that I'm like, oh, you just... F. Gary Gray does not fit with the men in black. So those two don't combine, but you're like, hey, you can do this, shoot this. And that's sort of yeah. Yeah. So then we've talked about this this universe a little bit. And I kind of want to get into that now. Um obviously it's all gone to Paramount, but until then, the movies they had were this X-Men-esque Harbinger movie, uh, an Archer and Armstrong movie with Ruben Flesher. So he was gonna get his piece. <laughs> they were gonna make a Shadow Man, which I quite honestly know better from the N64 video game than I do from the comics, of which Bloodshot was an unlockable character. So there's that fun piece of <laughs> trivia. Um, but that was gonna be outside the universe to begin with, and then they wanted to make a Faith movie, and then Bob Layden had a huge quote about Exo Manowar that was, "There's no other story that can be told better in film. It's got everything." Aliens, explosions, Greek mythology. The characters are amazing. Why are they like just sitting on this? So everyone thought that was coming. And an Eternal Warrior movie with Dave Batista. So they were, I mean, that's more than Marvel's phase one, right? Like, <laughs> but I think the bigger question than whether or not all of these movies will now get made at all or at Paramount is, do you want another big cinematic universe? We've now kind of tried... I would even put DCs in this um, of a, an attempt that didn't quite coalesce. You have the dark universe. We never even saw this toy universe from Paramount with Mask and G.I. Joe and everybody else. Is the same way that we were talking about Valiant standing out. Is, is another shared universe something you guys are interested in? Or would it just kind of be a like, at this point, chasing a ghost? Um, that's a good question. The one thing, too, that's worth noting when this was originally announced in 2015 it was david leach and chad stahelski who were going to direct bloodshot so what a different movie that would have been that would have been nuts yeah that would have been crazy movie um in terms of a cinematic universe i mean look i do think that 
every studio is trying a little bit too hard right now to build cinematic universes. I think kind of like the same thing with reboots and prequels. It just becomes that hot, that hot like uh, keyword, that hot SEO keyword that people are like, oh, people are searching for these things. Let's reboot and remake everything. Let's, you know, now that now the trend is going to be to make sequels of everything, you know, set 40 years later and all that sort of stuff. But <laughs> the two sequels before it, we're going to Terminator Dark Fate everything. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, I'm always interested in in exploring big universes and especially when they're comic book universes, because I think a lot of passion is put into a lot of different books and a lot of different characters and their respective worlds. And I think it'd be really cool to have that. And I, I also don't think that not every single quote unquote cinematic universe needs to try to be as big as Marvel. Like I think what Marvel did is they were ahead of the curve. They capitalized on this very early on. They knew what they were doing and they just they were the first ones out of the gate to to just nail it. And I think like if you're just if your objective is to just repeat that, you will never succeed because the the formula it just had all the right components at the right time you know it's it's the next step of like cool how do we take this concept and how do we make it work for us first of all in our characters and what can we do to be to just be true to who those characters are and you know don't expect to make 25 billion dollars over the course of 10 years as great as that would be you know if, if again it's all about having the right objective and if your objective is just that then i think the creativity completely gets thrown out the window I think you're exactly right. I always think about, I had an entertainment marketing teacher when I first moved out here named Susan Wren, who did the marketing for Titanic in the 90s and ran Paramount, and she was a great, great woman from the Bronx. But I brought up kind of a similar question once of, you know, everyone feels that these sequels, reboots, whatever SEO thing you're chasing with dollar signs in your eyes, you know, how do you counteract that? And she made a great point that, you know, you're a business, so you got to chase the dollar signs a little bit. Mm -hmm. But art should always be 51% of your do what you're doing and then 49% of the business. That's the balance. But the art and creativity should be the higher one, if only by a little bit. The second you're 51% business, you're just going to make cookie cutter stuff to chase everybody's tail. And, and then what are you going to do? That's what she also said. It was a very like Joker quote of like, you're a dog chasing your tail. I don't even know what I would do if I got it. Like, Let's say another studio hits big and catches up to Marvel, and now they're the industry leader. Well, do you think the guys who didn't even have the creativity to make their own idea are going to lead the industry anywhere innovative or interesting? They're not, because they got there by ripping off everybody else. Yeah, and at but, this point, I think playing the game of catching up to Marvel, it's it's long gone. Yeah, you they're can't. Ten years point, in. You, at this point, you can't. You're, there, there is no catching up to Marvel. I, at yeah. this point, I think a lot of people... Uh, it's weird. We, we talk about Blumhouse, but I think they need to take the model of like go less. Like let's come up with a concept first, but let's not spend. We're not going to get to that point, so let's not make our bottom line where we have to make a billion dollars. Let's make a thirty-five to forty million dollar movie and like keep it a lot less in house, so we only have to make two hundred fifty million dollars. Like Bad Boys Three is a hit because it only cost them sixty million dollars to make. That's where they need to start shooting shooting their stuff for. Um, and I think we universes. I think now I want them to happen more organically as opposed mm -hmm. to the way the MCU happened. Like, it's weird, but Fast and the Furious now has become a universe because of Hobbs and Shaw and all that stuff. It did it sort of the back way. Like, it was a started off as a point break ripoff, and now it, it, it's extended onto this. It kind of just happened. Yeah. And I think that's sort of how you have to do it. You take each film as it is, and you're like, all right, cool, we're here. Can we can we stretch this out? Can we make more? Can we do something else with this? Um, I think you and I, Blake, we've watched a lot of movies and we see all these movies that end with a a, a button or a post credit that says, "Cool, we'll never see this happen again." This whatever you've just put in as a seed will never see this payoff. And I we actively hate that. And I think um, movies should just be your film first, and then if something comes out of that, we will continue on after the fact. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you said that. I think that's a, a great time to switch over to our, our box office segment, um, which I think will be an interesting part because we'll also talk a little bit about this new VOD landscape and the potential <laughs> of theaters a little because it's unavoidable, really. I think all of our episodes are now going to have this like, who knows what it'll be um, since we don't even know what our next episode will be because... <laughs> For all we know, A Quiet Place 2 will show up tomorrow <laughs> on Netflix, and there we'll have it. 
but the movie, again, it opened kind of right around the same time when all of this got serious with COVID-19. If you're time stamping our episode, today is, you know, March 29th, 2020. We are two weeks into social distancing and isolating and quarantining and and flattening the curve, as it were. Uh, it cost between the 45 and 66 million. It made 9.1 million its opening weekend behind Onward, beating The Hunt and Invisible Man in its second weekend, which isn't by no means bad. 9.1 sounds very small, but you have to remember that this was about 12 hours after AMC said that they were closing all their theaters and about two hours after the CDC said don't gather in places of 50 or more. We were all texting each other because we were going to do this episode that weekend. And I think I literally got Adam's text as I was typing to him where we were both saying the same thing that we had to delay because we weren't going to go to a theater this weekend, which I think for the three of us, is an in, is a is a crazy thing. That was yeah. always my Thursday and Friday. I've got yeah. my A list. I I walk over to the AMC Century City after work, and I, I have a little bit of dinner and maybe a drink, and then I pop down and watch my film. Yeah, it's a good time. It's a weird. I mean, we're all avid moviegoers, but yeah, this has been a weird time. Is to my getaway is to go to a theater either early or late, depending on who, what people I want to be around. But I'll go to the theater, uh, grab my drink, and sit down in the back row in the center of the theater and just watch whatever the hell I get to watch. And uh, that not happening right now has been the weirdest thing of all of this. Yeah, same here. I mean, like... Go on. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, we it's almost tradition now that every Thursday night we go out, you know, to the 1030 shows and we watch whatever's new and it's become such a tradition. We're so used to it. And then even throughout the week, you know, when I have a night where, you know, I'm not having to be downstairs in the studio and I can get out early, I'll go and I'll watch something else that came out new. So, and I had tickets for, for the Saturday morning um, matinee and I was all ready to go. And then I was like, you know, probably not the best idea to go. And it's honestly like one of the, very few times I've like, ah, you know, it's probably not a good idea to go to the movies. Cause normally if the only time reason I won't go uh, is because, you know, some plan changed and I'm like, well, this plan sounds more fun or, you know, it's hanging right. out with people that I normally don't get. It's never like, well, I don't feel like going. <laughs> right. It, it's a strange time. Yeah. I mean, I actively went back to the theater after the, the 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 Batman, the shooting at the theaters, people were like, you shouldn't go to the movies. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to the movies. This is the one time I was like, mm, maybe I should not go yeah. to the theater on this one. No, yeah, I, I had a very, like, Matrix Reloaded Merovingian stance for a while where I was like, you mock my words, boy, and you mock them well. I have survived <laughs> your predecessors, and I will survive you. <laughs> and that's going to be by social distancing, you know. I don't have invisible twins that can chase people down on a highway. <laughs> also, the Merovingian, I think, lost in the end. Agent Smith, it doesn't matter. Uh, as we all know, I think at this point, Sony and Blumhouse are kind of the first two to go, we'll do our VOD stuff early. We'll try to make up some lost ground. We'll release The Hunt. We'll release Bloodshot. They both had two different tactics with this. You can buy the rent The Hunt for $20 for 48 days. You can rent the Invisible Man for 48 hours uh, at $20. Bloodshot just pushed up its VOD release by an insurmountable amount and said 20 bucks to own outright. Birds of Prey did the same thing. Uh, I think Onward came out also and is going to have Disney Plus soon. Rise of Skywalker had its digital release early, but it's not on Disney Plus. Uh, I don't have all of them in front of me. That's all I can do off the top of my head. But I tried to find... VOD sales numbers. And I did not know that these are not tracked in any cohesive way. No. <laughs> uh, the best I can get is as of March 25th, my birthday, uh, on iTunes, this was coming in at number four on VOD hits behind 1917, Onward and Birds of Prey. And it was number one on Amazon Prime. Wow. So... Okay. Normally, this is where we go. Clearly, an audience was interested. Clearly, they weren't. We're going to get a sequel. We're going to not get one. This is such a different and unique situation that I almost want to ask the room, how do you guys think we read these numbers? It has, I'll also add, worldwide made $29 million, which I think all things considered means that if we were now in its second or third weekend, 
you know, it would have fallen to Mulan, obviously, but it might have been in second. A Quiet Place 2 would have also been in there, but it maybe would have made its budget back. Do we think this means there's interest from the audience to have a sequel? Or do you guys think that this is unfortunately uh, the head's been cut off and there's not much you can do? Um, it's interesting that 1917, like, it's hard to read those numbers because 1917 is a Oscar-esque, like, Oscar-nominated film, so that number is automatically going to be one. So we're in this weird time where we're getting VOD new releases versus stuff that people weren't able to see in the theater in the first place. So now they're like, that's why that number is so high. Um, I don't know if I can really count on these numbers, though, because I feel like a lot of people are just watching everything right now and it's this mm -hmm. weird thing where they are now sitting at their home bored because they're locked away i think if this was in a normal situation where this got released to vod i don't think these numbers would be that high i think people are like i've already watched this and i've watched this i've seen the tiger king i've watched ozark oh cool bloodshot i like vin diesel let me pop this on and consume it and i don't know if in a normal situation that would happen yeah i mean I kind of agree. I think it's really tough to say because, I mean, you look at some of the movies that have been trending in the last 10 to 14 days, like Contagion, Soderbergh's movie. Yeah. It was like at the top of every every everyone's list of like most watched movie. And you're like, well, OK, if that's the case, then like everything that's happened has really skewed and shifted numbers for everything. Um, so, yeah, it's it's tough. But I mean, I would say that just kind of based on what based on what I saw on social media, particularly Twitter, it seems like the most of the enthusiasm was towards Birds of Prey and Bloodshot. And then I would say somewhere in in the middle maybe was The Invisible Man, um, which I which I thought was a, was also a, a great movie. It's um, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, it is it is really tough to, um, to gauge and, and understand how they're going to calculate all that. Like, yeah, is it just going to be straight up by like how many people bought it? Is it going to incorporate ticket sale? I'm sure someone somewhere has a number and they're probably looking at it and doing the math and thinking like, Oh, surprisingly, this movie actually made some money back. But then, you know, then it's trying to figure out what demographics did it really hit with? Is it more adult? Is it kind of everybody? Is it, you know, younger? Like I'm sure they take all of those things into consideration, whether, when they decide like, is this even worth doing, doing this movie again? And, you know, when we um, when we talked to the producer, he, I asked the question. I kind of knew the answer to it already, but it was kind of nice to hear it from somebody like that. Was you know, are you going to bother or try to do any sort of theatrical re-release once all of this is over to maybe help try to like boost those numbers or try to entice people to come back? And they said, you know, because of the way, because of everything that's happened, and because of just where we happen to land, it wouldn't be worth it for us. You know, the movie's out. The movie's out. Let the movie be out. Right. People can buy it to own it, and it just wouldn't really make any sense to to change that. Yeah, it's weird because that number, that chart doesn't. Invisible Man's not going to be high on there because a great deal of that money they made their money in theaters. Like they right. had two weeks in theaters, and people who wanted to see that movie saw it. I mean, it yeah. it's already at 124 million under the gate before all hell broke loose. So mm -hmm. it's weird to track them versus the rest. Like it's just the everything happened and people are releasing things in different windows in different ways. It's just a weird time to kind of track that. But I, I do think though that what could come of this is there may now have to be a standardized way of tracking VOD numbers because the way that this is going on, there needs to be a, like, Oh shit, we now have to watch all of this. Yeah, I agree. I and I'm a hard to track. You're right. Uh, Cause even like, and Adam, we talked about this a little bit last week, but I'd love to get your opinion on kind of this new world that we're living in. If you're a fan of it or not, you know, we're seeing like some people are doing rentals and some people are doing you have to buy it. And I was just talking to my dad and very much was like, Dad, you should watch Bloodshot. You would love it. And he said, I don't want to buy it for 20 bucks. I don't want to buy a digital copy. If I'm going to buy something, I want it to be physical because I don't know a voodoo or a Comcast these same narratives of like, did I really buy my Nintendo switch game or am I leasing it from Nintendo until the next one comes out? Did I really buy uh, these wonderful three pack of comedies on voodoo or am I leasing it from Walmart until they don't need that service anymore? Like mm -hmm. what am I really doing? And some people are going straight to streaming. I know that was a big rise of Skywalker point of contention was I give you $7 a month, give me my movie, whatever it is. Um, how do you feel about it? 
And even I mean, some are tiered, right? Like Downhill came out for 10 bucks, and Black Widow might be 30 Sorry, go on. No, I mean, yeah, and it, it's, it is a tricky landscape. You know, like I'm, I'm one of those people that, to me, physical media will always sort of be like my number one resource when it comes to consuming media at home. Um, we've seen, you know, YouTube and Netflix and all these digital streaming services have lowered their quality. And we were, we were just trying to watch Ex Machina the other night on Netflix, and the streaming quality was, I don't want to say it was terrible, because it wasn't terrible, but when you're, when you're so used to seeing Netflix's normal quality being so high, putting on a movie, you're like, man, this is really disappointing. I went straight for my Blu-ray, and I put in the Blu-ray. So that will always kind of be my number one. I, I don't dislike streaming service, those types of streaming services like Voodoo and stuff. I know they have a huge audience, and I understand that people don't, they want to declutter nowadays. They don't want to hold on to stuff like that. Um, so I don't know what the future could look like. I mean, I think it would be kind of insane if studios started making movies that were just straight to a buy it now type of offer, like what we saw with some of the movies that came out uh, recently. And yeah, you know, I think I think it is kind of frustrating that a movie like The Rise of Skywalker, it comes out on digital. It's going to be out on Blu-ray, I think, this Tuesday, and the fact that it's still not on Disney Plus, I'm like, yeah, what did, what did, what do you, why are you paying five dollars a month for this if you're not getting it? I mean, it's kind of the same thing with Onward. You could, you could rent it or buy it for twenty bucks, but it's going to be on Disney Plus, I think, next Friday. April, so like, yeah, it's Friday, yeah. Yeah, so like, why the hell am I going to spend twenty dollars if I can just wait, you know, so the that, extra two weeks? That is exactly what I did. Is oh, I like to watch Onward, and I saw those numbers. It's like, well, I have Disney Plus. I'll just wait till April third. Like, yeah. why, why would I do anything else? Yeah, I like the movie, but I didn't like it so desperately that like that much that I I need to have it now. Right. You know. Right. I think then the other question, and I, I was saying this with a coworker, is kind of what will it look like when things are normal again? Are we going to see really, really crowded Fridays with, and I'm making this up, Wonder Woman and Black Widow coming out on the same day or A Quiet Place 2 and two other horror movies? Are we going to see, this is kind of a weird example, but I'm going to use how video game releases used to be, where they were all fall heavy. It was all fall and Christmas and now it's going to come. And then we started seeing these giant releases in spring and summer and winter and the sales were the same and people would buy and move things around and it didn't really matter like right now friday is kind of like the movie day but is it possible that we'll see to avoid kind of stepping on everyone's toes a giant tentpole release on a tuesday or a wednesday like to get out of the way of somebody else yeah, I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibility, but I do think that if you start, like, let's say you put out Wonder Woman on a Wednesday and then you put out Black Widow on a Friday, like, I just don't think there's a big enough gap between those days. And I think you're, I think those movies will inevitably trample over each other at the box office. And I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be like a, like the five freeway at, at noon in the middle of Hollywood. Like, it's just gonna be overcrowded. You know, yeah, I think it's gonna right. be really tough. I think. What, what I was saying um, when we were talking about this a couple weeks ago, and look, like, I, this may not happen, but I, I thought that, like, at the very least, it could be super possible that a lot of these big movies that are on track to release in the fall, they could very honestly shift to next year. And I think we might see a cascading effect where all of these big temple releases from 2020 are going to move to 2021 and then those 2021 movies will move to 2022. And I think it like, it's possible that it could have that sort of a big ripple effect, but I know that there's a lot of money involved in all that. One thing though, is like, if you're a movie that hasn't started advertising yet, maybe it's not the worst possible scenario. I mean, I don't know all the ins and outs of how that would work, but I wouldn't be surprised. Cause I mean, look, if, if um, 007 was able to lock in this November day, and we're kind of in Black Widow and Mulan and Wonder Woman. Well, I guess not Wonder Woman because they announced a new day. But if these movies that are supposed to be coming out in the next few weeks to month, if they're not locking in new days and they're just kind of like waiting and waiting and waiting, I mean, they're going to be waiting to the point where they're going to run out of dates to choose yep. from. 
he landed on what I was going to say because I think it was smart that before all of this really started happening, MGM was just like, yo, we're going to move Bond over here and yeah. pick a date. We're going to put our flag in the sand and do it. And Wonder Woman has subsequently done it too. There's yeah, a lot of places, mainly Disney is just kind of just floating around. And granted, they do have two titles. They have Mulan and Black Widow that if they play something somewhere, people typically are just going to get the hell out the way. Yeah. But still, they... Going to go, they're going to get to a point where they don't have space anymore, so they do need to choose something. I think uh, I don't know if they'll shift everything because studios typically budget their stuff in, in calendar years, um, and this they're already taking a loss this year. So they, they they I think Warner Brothers and 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 Disney are sitting with kind of bullets in the chamber. They're like, all right, when this does open up, we need to have something that at least makes us some type of revenue this year. Um, yeah, Sony does a little bit too if Ghostbusters ever gets pushed, but that date could move around now too. Yeah, it's also interesting when you look at kind of probably more Disney slash Fox now than anybody else has these untitled Marvel project, an untitled Star Wars project, mm-hmm. and they could now just go, well, that untitled Marvel project is now Doctor Strange 2. We already have that date in and we're just going to because it's Occam's Razor is exactly what Adam said is we'll just cascade everything a year, take the L and walk away. Yeah. You know, it, it's you've already spent the money on the production budget and the advertising budget will change a little bit. But the overhead of a theater cost, I have to assume, is subsequently lower when there are no theaters open. So, <laughs> the, the you know, the biggest losses are probably the ones that came out that weekend or the weekend after like Mulan and Black Widow probably got out quick enough right. where they can do it and then Wonder Woman and everything else I think the bigger question is how long but it's going to be Adam, a really interesting Adam, crowded market where Adam has a good point though that some of the stuff could push for this very reason the studios the movies that the studios have coming out next year are no longer filming so their dates are going to have to get pushed anyway so they right. may have to shove some of this stuff back to fill in the holes of the film that not aren't actively shooting well and we've already seen some change right like you brought a bad boys for life earlier terrence and that came out in january which is usually a dumping ground and not only was that movie amazing yeah. it made Agreed. so much money right. so you know, you might even see those weird things of where they traditionally wouldn't put Black Widow in January, February, March. They will. And these kind of, you know, we, we on on our podcast, we kind of look ahead at least six months of what our schedule is, because as rare as it is, sometimes there are original movies that come out on opening weekends. <laughs> um, so we try to have something in those slots. And those slots may now just get filled. Like the the scary dumping ground dates might not exist anymore and just be, uh, the summer started early in January. <laughs> Come see Eternals or however yeah. they'll do it. Well, yeah, and I think we're kind of like, that whole thought process of like, oh, summer blockbuster, it's a very fun, like 90s nostalgia thing. We just, we just produce way too many movies every year that are big budget movies. I mean, the 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 slate for all these big budget movies has for the last like 15 years slowly been shifting. You know, it was like mostly May and June, July. Now, then it was May, June, July, August. And now we're all the way up into like March and February with movies like Deadpool. Uh, If Marvel were to put out Black Widow the first weekend of January, that movie's going to make money. Oh yeah. Right. There's some things, there's strategic marketing and strategic positioning. And then there's, we've made the next Marvel movie and people yeah. will miss it. I, I was theorizing uh, my roommate and friend of the show who's been on the show, Zane, um, if I, he thinks that you know, when this is all over, if we'll have more people showing up to theaters than before. And I don't mean like before now, I mean like nineties numbers, eighties numbers, like will ticket sales go up as opposed to the box office? Will we see kind of a surge of people missing going out and suddenly the going out activity will be the movies and will we see a big influx or will people's consuming behaviors stay the same it's it's going to be a very cool thing to watch i think yeah i mean i think people are just going stir crazy being at home 
And I think any opportunity they have to get out of the house, whether it's to go to a park or, you know, I mean, that's why we've had beaches and parks and things closed because people need to get out of the house. They want to get out. I think it would be amazing if, um, if the movie theaters were flooded again with people once all of this goes away and everything gets better. But I do also think it's going to take some time before people are comfortable going back to a, a hugely filled public place like a movie theater. Yeah. Yeah, there's a trust. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to add or we can I'll wrap us out? No. Well, that is our show, guys. Thank you so much. Did I cut the, the internet go when somebody was trying to say something? No, you're good. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. That was our Bloodshot episode of Hollywood Already Did It. You can leave us a nice review on iTunes uh, or any other podcast service you have. I know Podchaser is getting more and more popular. They're a fun little place. You can follow the Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Did he break out? Yeah. I'm at, as always, breaking can the good people find you and what are you guys putting out right now? Like, you broke up a little bit at the back end there. Ah. Adam, can you hear us? Yeah. Uh, would you like to plug yourself and your shows and let the people know where to find you? Sure, sure. So thankfully, because we are uh, on house arrest, we're, we're in Operation <laughs> Stay at Home, uh, we are still live streaming. So I, I live where I work with uh, two of my roommates, and uh, we're all we're running every single day. We're doing stuff starting at 11 a.m. We're streaming all the way until 11 p.m. We're doing board gaming. We're doing watch-alongs. Uh, we've been doing some great stuff like watching Cowboy Bebop with our audience. We're going to be doing some fun movies this week, including TMNT, uh, Tremors, uh, Inception. So we're doing a lot of really, really, really fun stuff. We're starting off our the the big chunk of our day with our daily podcast. Where we're just kind of catching people up on what's happening. Um, that's live starting at 11 a.m. Eastern, uh, 11 a.m. Pacific time, not Eastern time. I live in Los Angeles. Hello, I'm awake. And uh, yeah, we're doing that every single day. And uh, thank you guys so much for having me. It was really fun to come back and, and chat with uh, with you guys about about this interesting movie, but also this very interesting situation that we're in. Yeah. Oh yes. Uh, great. Well, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next week.